This episode is brought to you by Broad Street Publishing. How does a Christian artist, someone who looks like they're walking with God with their whole heart, how do they get from the Grammy Awards to sitting on a bed a few months later thinking that there's nothing worth living for? Three-time Grammy-nominated recording artist Michelle Pollard on this episode. Put your faith to work. This is the Bold Idea Podcast with ideas, interviews, and inspiration to bring your bold ideas to life. Here are your hosts, Larry Gates and Armin Asadi. Hey there, welcome to episode number 17. I'm Larry Gates, your co-host with Armin Asadi. And we are so excited to be bringing you just a, what a tremendous episode we have lined up here today, Armin. We do, and this is yet another inspirational Michelle opportunity we got. <laughs> yeah, well, we've had one other Michelle on the program. Actually, we've had one other woman on the program so far. We're going to get more, but her name happened to be Michelle Watson. Today, we are speaking with Michelle Pilar. She is an author, a speaker, a three-time Grammy and Dove nominee. She became Sparrow Records' dominant seller, 1.5 million copies in the mid-80s, she was on the Maranatha Music Praise albums. I recognize some of those songs that she was on. She's done commercials for Lexus, Levi Strauss, <laughs> was on The Simpsons. She's toured with the Billy Graham Association, and she's got a tremendous number of followers on Facebook. But she's written a book called Untangled, and it's really about the story of her life. And you don't want to, well, I guess let's just put it this way. I mean, there's a lot of stuff here to untangle in this <laughs> in this interview. <laughs> There is. Michelle has so much experiences, has gone through so much, but at the same time has come to a point that is beyond inspirational, that is beyond redemptive, and it's something that we are excited for you guys to listen to and follow along in her journey. Well, let's just jump right into it. Well, welcome to the program, Michelle Pollard. So glad to have you on the Bold Idea Podcast. Thank you so much, Larry and Armin. It's great to be with you. Yeah, well, we've been looking forward for a while, as you know, to try to uh, to get some time with you. We've had a couple of technical difficulties in the past, but uh, that's all behind us now, and we're ready to get going on this episode. Michelle, I've been dying to ask you about your book, Untangled, because I haven't had a chance to read it, I think, as you know, but from all accounts that we have heard about it, it is like one of these really deep touching, but also very vulnerable exposés on what's happened in your life. And in fact, you start, I noticed this, you start with the first chapter called You Can't Frighten the Dead, which is quite a provocative <laughs> chapter title. So where are you going with this and how did this all come up? Well, first I'd like to say that, you know, when I want to sit down for a nice read, I wouldn't want to read something that feels like a bad car accident. You know what I mean? <laughs> yeah, I do. You know, uh, when we want to read, we want to read something that gives us hope. But you know what I what what happened in a nutshell, the actual full title is Untangled, The Truth Will Set You Free. And you know, one day I was walking through my barn here on my farm, which you've seen little glimpses of today. And I can always hear the Lord in my barn. I don't know if you have a if you guys have a quiet place where you just, the world kind of stops and you can really hear the Lord. We all need to have one of those. But I was walking through my barn and I felt like the Lord said, I want you to tell the truth, Michelle. Mm. And I thought, well, that sounds pretty easy. You know? <laughs> <laughs> I mean, I'm not hiding anything, so I can tell the truth. And, and, but I believe it or not, I prayed about it for two years because I couldn't figure out what it was. I didn't know if it was a book or record another CD I started telling God every reason in the world why we don't need another Christian author. You know, I don't know if you've ever tried to talk God out of something, but I did. I didn't see the purpose of it. I said, I'm just one little person. Why is my story so important? Yeah. The Lord, when I got quiet and I stopped yakking at him, telling him why I couldn't do it or shouldn't do it, he said, Michelle, if you will tell the gut level truth about what I've done for you and exactly how I was healing you when everybody saw you as a public figure, as a recording artist and saw this was seemingly perfect little girl up on stage. If you'll tell them what I was really needing to heal that I couldn't even, God couldn't even access. If you'll tell them how I finally got to that stuff and accessed that stuff and you'll be honest about it. He said, I will use your story to get inside the story of the reader mm. in places I can't go. Mm -hmm. And what is that story? How did that unfold? 
Well, you know, it's first of all, that gave me reason to want to write it because I yeah. thought, wow, if this can be a doorway for God to get into the secret places of somebody else and set them free, then I'm all, all, all about that. I decided to start with the lowest point of my life at that time. And I started writing a, a chapter called You Can't Frighten the Dead. And what happens in that chapter, it's very cinematic from the very first sentence of Untangled, you're like watching a movie. That's what I've heard people say. You're sitting with me on a twin bed. The reader is just sitting right there with me on this little twin bed. The sun is going down. I'm sitting on a bed at my mother's house after being a super successful recording artist, three Grammy nominations. I had just been on the Grammy Awards telecast and I was sitting on that bed contemplating, seriously contemplating suicide. Mm. Now, how does a Christian artist, someone who looks like they're walking with God with their whole heart, how do they get from that place at the Grammy Awards to sitting on a bed a few months later thinking that there's nothing worth living for? That's the question I would ask you. How did you get there? Yeah, how did you fall down the mountain? Well, it's, it's a story you can read about in the book, but basically I call it really poor spiritual and emotional management. I call it wanting to please everybody else and getting lost in that endeavor. I, I call it trying my hardest to be a really good Christian when I was really hurting inside. And all of those things set you up for the enemy to take you out because you're not living. You don't know how to bring God all the hurts. You don't, you know, you just keep putting one foot in front of the other and going to church and doing all the things you hope are going to be okay. But You know, I just didn't know how to say no to anybody. Mm -hmm. I didn't. Was there a time when, or was this happening for you at that time when, you know, you had some success as a Grammy and Dove nominee and, you know, you were were recording all these albums and, you know, sold lots of records. And did that success kind of create a, a shell that was harder for you to break in terms of the reality of who you were? And did you feel the need to maybe project something you weren't? Is that what was going on here? Yeah, I mean, I was in very, yes. I'd say the answer is yes, yes, and yes. But I was really, I loved God with all my heart. I I didn't want to sing about anything else. Mm -hmm. I didn't choose to sing about Jesus because it was a a career choice. I did it because it was a burning desire Mm -hmm. that God called me to do. So all of my intentions were good. But all of your intentions can be good. And if you're still not paying attention to the subtle things that are creeping into your life, and robbing you of your joy, robbing you of your intimacy with God. It just chip, he chips away. The enemy chips away a little at a time. He doesn't do it all at once. And that's what happened to me. And I just got burned out. I was doing 200 concerts a year. I kept telling everyone I needed some time to rest, but nobody was listening to me. And I wouldn't listen to myself. I didn't think I was worth listening to. Mm. And so... What happened is, as as an escape hatch, see, we will find an escape hatch for the pain and for the confusion. If we don't sit before God, the enemy will offer us an escape hatch, just like he offered Jesus, you know, up on the mountain there (laughs) when he was hungry and tired. That's when the enemy offers you an escape hatch. Yeah. Now, how would you have described that pain that you were experiencing at that time? The pain would be I can't, I, I can't remember who I am in Christ. I have no joy. I'm a Christian, but I'm not feeling God's presence anywhere. I'm praying and it feels like it's bouncing off the ceiling, mm-hmm. even when I'm outside. So it's like you're going through the motions. Yeah, going through the motions and knowing that things are out of whack and the wheels are coming off the car, but not knowing what to do. So what I, what I found is I found an escape hatch and that escape hatch was called an affair. So right when I I least expected this offer to be brought to me, you know, the enemy literally served it up on a silver platter. And, you know, that's not something I'd ever struggled with. It's not, it wasn't a part of my life that I would have even seen as a weakness. That's what really shocked the heck out of me. I hadn't struggled with anything like that. I, I just hadn't. Mm -hmm. But I think what happened of wanting to be heard and to find comfort and to find relief from just everything that was going on in my life, this person came into my life that was listening and was caring, and and I jumped. 
mm-hmm. and I had an affair. Well, when you're on the cover of Today's Christian Woman magazine and you have an affair with somebody, you, you know, the enemy knows he's got you. Mm-hmm. I mean, there's no getting out of that. There's no getting around it. There's no hiding it. There, How did you manage that? I mean, when you, when you began that, you probably knew that you were headed down a path that wasn't wasn't right, wasn't good for you, ultimately. Right. How did that create a discord in you? What, what were some of the things that you did to try to manage that? Well, I didn't manage it very well. I, everything came out in the open pretty quickly, again, because I was in such a high-profile position. Mm-hmm. And in a way, now when I look back on that, I really thank God for that, which is interesting to say, because most people who had a less public life maybe could hide an affair for a year mm-hmm. or or whatever. I don't know. I don't know. All I know is in my life, God didn't let me hide it. And that was his sovereignty. That was actually his care and his love. Mm-hmm. But at the time, it felt like complete disaster. And how old were you at the time when this happened? I was in my latter 20s. Mm-hmm. Were you already married? Yes, I was married. And I think I was, to be honest with you, I think I was angry. I think I had a, you know, the Bible says anger, but sin not. Mm-hmm. And I think I was angry. I think I was angry at myself for not knowing how to manage such a busy life. I think I was I was angry at my husband for not kind of looking out for me in this busy schedule. But that does not give you license to mm-hmm. have an affair. Mm-hmm. I think I was mad at the record label. I think I was just mad and didn't know it because I was being the good little girl. Good little girls don't get mad. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and but see, again, all of that's a setup. So I was dropped from the record label. My records were broken over DJ's knees instead. That's when we had LPs back then. Uh-huh. And they literally broke my record over their knees. Mm-hmm. Wow. I mean, just harsh. Like the phone went from, I couldn't even do my own laundry. My life went from, couldn't do my own laundry to the phone's not ringing. Nobody's there. Not a single friend called me. And I don't say that to make you feel sorry for me. I just, that's what what happened. But that's why I was on that bed with pills in my hands saying, okay, I am worth nothing. Mm. And I, I had grown up in that home with alcohol and beatings and I'd hidden under that bed to get away from yardsticks. And now I found myself right there sitting on that bed. And I felt a dark presence walk into the room and say, you thought you could get away from this house and look at you. You're right back where you started. This Jesus that you say you know can't get you out of this. Where is he now? Look at where you are. Nothing's changed. I think you ought to just kill yourself. And what kept you from that? Well, first I agreed with him. It's the only time in my life I've ever had a conversation with darkness. Mm. And believe it or not, I could see him in my mind's eye. I could see it in my mind's eye. If somebody would have walked in the room, he wouldn't, you know, a demon wouldn't have been standing there. But I can tell you right now, I can tell you everything what he looked like. And I said, okay, I agree with you. I have been running from you my entire life. I have been trying to get out of this house and everything that this house stands for all my life. And and you're right. I'm right back where I started. If you're such a big deal, then help me take these pills. If you're so much more powerful than Jesus, then show me what you got hmm. and help me swallow these pills. Couldn't do it. Well, I put one in my mouth and it was beginning to melt. And I knew I wouldn't have to take very many of them. And I just put my head in my hands and I cried. I mean, the demon did say some other things to me that I won't go into right now because I don't want to give him any more airtime here. But <laughs> Agreed. He was pretty convincing, but I put my head in my hands and I said, Jesus, I said, I don't want to do this, but I don't know what else to do. The enemy likes to get us to a place of hopelessness. Mm-hmm. If he can get us there, then, you know, who knows what we'll throw away. Mm. And so I said, Jesus, I don't know what else to do. And I felt, literally felt the impression of somebody who sat next to me on the little twin bed. And when he sat down next to me, it startled me because the room was dark by now. And I thought I was by myself. And he sat so close to me in the book. I say, you couldn't have slid a playing card in between the two of us. Mm. 
And when I opened my eyes, I didn't look up at his face, but when I opened my eyes and I looked down at what he was wearing in his feet, which were by my feet next to me on the bed, I knew it was Jesus that sat next to me. Mm. And his presence was so strong and he put his arms around my shoulders. And I looked up over to the corner where the darkness had been and the darkness was gone. Mm. Just the very presence of God, the darkness left. And the Lord said, Michelle, give me your life. And I said, I did that 10 years ago. I began to apologize to Jesus. Like, I don't know why it didn't work for me, but for some reason it just didn't work for me. And I began to apologize. And I said, look at, I've embarrassed you now. I've embarrassed everybody. I'm an embarrassment. I'm a liability. And I looked down in my lap, and there was a tangled ball of string in my lap that was about as big as a basketball. And these threads were so tangled and twisted, you could never untangle them, even if you tried. And the Lord said, Michelle, I could touch this string. I could touch this mass of tangles, which is your life. I could touch it right now, and I could untangle it in an instant. But he said, you'd walk right out of here, and you would tangle it up again because you don't know how it got tangled to begin with. Mm. And then he began to talk to me how he and I were going to sit and untangle this. And I said, am I going to be in this house the rest of my life untangling this? And he, he smiled, he laughed, and he said, no. You're not this house, by the way. He said, you're my daughter. You have, you, this house has nothing to do with who you are. And you're going to walk out of here, and you're going to do many, many things for my glory. But right now we're going to sit. And the point of that is that when everybody else is gone, when everybody else counts you as worthless and just a huge mistake, Jesus is right there next to you, closer than anyone could sit. Mm-hmm. In that environment, in that place, he is ready to do the greatest work in your life. This is the Bold Idea Podcast. Joseph in the Bible was a dreamer with a calling. He walked in God's plan at every stage of life. Joseph's today are men and women, old and young, who are set apart by God for His divine purposes. God wants you to know His assignment for you so you can live an intentional and purpose-filled life. But what is your God-sized assignment? And what is the process to walk in that calling? Oz Hillman, the founder and president of Marketplace Leaders and author of Change Agent and TGIF, Today God is First, presents six stages to discover, navigate, and fulfill your purpose in his new release, The Joseph Calling. Visit thejosephcalling.com to learn more about fulfilling your God-appointed destiny and download a free 12-week Bible study based on the book. What did it look like at that point? I mean, it sounds like you had a traumatic childhood. You had turned into this Christian celebrity on award shows, led to an affair, and then you get in an instant from one decision, you get rejected and abandoned by the entire Christian community and everything that you knew and loved. And then now you're sitting here, you're in this moment of suicide. You have darkness and light battling over you in the same space at the same time. Now you're sitting side by side by Jesus and you're getting this message of hope and of this life being untangled. So what happens from rejection to redemption and beyond? Mm -hmm. Great, great question, Armin. What happened is I finally took the time And because I had fallen so hard, I had more awareness than ever of what I was capable of doing in darkness. I was also more aware than ever of how great Jesus was and that this Jesus I had accepted 10 years prior was never going to leave me and that he had a plan and I didn't have to hide anymore. I didn't have to pretend anymore. I didn't have to avoid the brokenness in me anymore. That's all I knew. I didn't really know how he was going to untangle everything, 
but I knew all of that. And that was the perfect place to start. And I didn't know how long it would take, but I didn't care anymore because I was so tired of trying to hold up this Christian image. I was exhausted. And I also, like I said, I knew that the enemy had used it all to try to take me out. I didn't think I'd ever be in ministry again because I didn't think I deserved to be. And I was so wrong about that. Was it because of you that thought that you wouldn't be accepted either? Oh, gosh, yeah. I mean, I didn't think I'd be accepted. I didn't think, I didn't even know if I really even wanted to because I thought, you know, what if I fall in little ways again or in big, I don't know. I just, the thought of ministry was scary and, and I didn't even care about that anymore. And I didn't think I was not only worthy to do it, but capable of doing it. I didn't think I was worth doing it. How can I be a voice when look at what I've done? What was that bold step that you took in, you know, feeling that way that you're not worthy, that you might not be accepted, but, but you got back into the game. What, what was that? that first step that you took and how did that go? Well, it happened about 15 years later. (laughs) So, you know, sometimes things take time and we have to be okay. In other words, I couldn't find my identity any longer in being a celebrity or being a singer or being Michelle Pilar, whoever that was. I had to find my peace and my identity and, my worth in God. And as simple as that sounds for a little girl that had been a people pleaser and a beauty queen and tried to fix the alcohol for my parents and my sisters. And for someone who tried to be Jesus for everybody else for so long, I had to just change all that. That all changed that day. So that's what I mean, where God can take the worst day of your life the worst mistake of your life. And he can flip it on a dime and he can say, now we're going to get somewhere. You know, now we're really going to see redemption and restoration. And now you're going to become powerful in your weakness. You are going to become powerful and nobody can ever take that away from you. Nobody. So you had to be thinking all these things, even 15 years later, when you started that next phase of ministry, right under your new identity in Christ, what, were, what, what was that opportunity that you faced and what were some of the trepidations and fears and things that you had to trust God for as you went through that? What it was, was he started to stir my desire for ministry again in me, just like he had stirred it in me when I was 19. I came to know Jesus when I was 17. By 19, I just, not even really by 18, but I, I just had this stirring inside. You know, when God calls you to something, he starts stirring things and mm-hmm. making desires and hopes. And he uses your giftings and your what you're good at and what you're not good at. But he starts stirring to develop you to go forth in what he's called you to do. And so I knew what that felt like because I had felt it when I was young. So now here, 15 years later, I felt that stirring. And I fought it. I thought maybe it was a midlife crisis. I thought maybe it was me just falling back into wanting to be me. You know what I mean? Um, Mm -hmm. I thought it was a lot of stuff. So I just kept seeking God on it because I said, Lord, I never want to do anything without you ever again. And if you're calling me to go back out and use some of this for your glory, great, but you're going to have to show me. And like I said, I just prayed and I started getting calls actually from people who wanted me to come speak. I mean, one lady called me, found me on, I don't know how she found me. She was in Florida and I want you to come speak to our women. And, you know, we were in a board meeting and your name came up and we wondered what you're doing. And, and God had been working at me at the same time. So I started just sitting at God's feet and going, okay, Lord, how do I articulate all you've done for me in the past 15 years and beyond? You know, it's, it's so great when God heals us and he, you know, he's working constantly every day. And sometimes we can't even see what he's doing. Mm-hmm. And, and then all of a sudden, when you do start articulating, you know, you know, you feel different, you know, you feel better, you know, you feel stronger, you know, you have peace, you know, you're making better choices. All those are evidences of God's handiwork. But as I started articulating it, I, I go, wow, Lord, you know, we've really done a lot here. And I was as surprised as anyone to be able to put it down and, and look at where we'd come from, you know, like how far we'd come. 
what would you say would be, you know, if the, the kind of before Michelle and the after Michelle, what, what are some of the, the key highlight difference? So he took you through mm-hmm. this really refining time where he, it sounds like you're describing him, bringing you back to the heart of Christ and who he is and, yeah. and him as your, as your source. How would you describe the Michelle Pilar coming up to that point of crisis 15 years ago and, and the Michelle Pilar today? I would describe it as no longer frantic, no longer desperate, able to wait and listen, enjoying the presence of God without a payoff necessarily. Um, Not just coming to him with a list of what I need and what I want, but just coming to him and being okay with sitting with him and really learning what it's like to enjoy the presence of God and be okay. I, I don't know. It, when I, before all this, I was just, I loved God. I loved Jesus. And I was so thankfully saved me, but I was just had this franticness inside, this hunger here and there. And, and as he restored things, just, I just wasn't like that anymore. I could give him time to wait and listen and, and really wait for his best and not just make choices based on my needs. Yeah. It it sounds like you're describing a Michelle Pilar today. Who's more settled and content in who she is and what God has provided for her, where the Michelle Pilar of 15 years ago was one who had to earn the approval of others in order for her to feel good about herself. Am I hearing that right? Yeah. And I, there's a lot of aspects to it and it's all found in God's word. Interestingly, like I used to think reading God's word was kind of a homework assignment (laughs) (laughs) that, you know, when you're a Christian, you spend so much time a day and you read and, Mm -hmm. you know, now, yeah, that all changed too. Like Mm -hmm. when I read, I look for who God is in the scripture, who I am in, in the scripture. Like I look for things like what's my job and what's his job. And it's all there if you're not just mechanically reading. And so all these beautiful revelations, one of them was that I learned who he is as Abba. Mm. And if you don't know who you are to Abba, the father part of God, you're, you're walking around with two thirds of the Godhead there, but one third missing. I knew who Jesus was. I could relate to him. He was a person. He talked, he bled, he was beaten. I, I was beaten. I, I, I understood Jesus. I loved the Holy Spirit, could feel his presence. And but the father part of God was a huge black hole and an absence of the throne room of God scared me. Yeah. You know, it's ironic that you bring that up because our last and only other female guest so far on the program has also been a, a Michelle. Yeah. That's <laughs> and, it. And, and she said wow. the exact same thing. Verbatim almost, almost. almost. Yeah. Almost verbatim on the, our show. Yeah. The same way that you're describing Holy Spirit and Jesus and then the Fatherhead and how you can I mean you guys are speaking in the exact same terminology. It's crazy. <laughs> I love that. Hmm. I mean because God is who he is. He's he, the same yesterday. Yeah. And and it's and it's neat to see how God uses the circumstances, even the painful ones, uh, the mismanagement of our choices to reveal the fullness of himself to us in that way. And that's a beautiful oh. story you shared. No, it's it's amazing. And and really, if you don't know who you are to the Father, or you're not comfortable with the Father, or maybe you perceive him incorrectly, like you think that you have to measure up or something for the Father, be afraid of the Father, or I don't know. Everybody has different conceptions because of the Father they knew here on earth or didn't know. And And what I love is that Jesus could have been sacrificed as a baby and his blood still would have counted. But Jesus lived over 30 years because God the Father wanted to show us who he is. Mm, that's a good insight. And every time you see Jesus do something with someone in Scripture, you can just substitute right in there that, that that's what the Father looks like, and that's how the Father acts. That's how the Father talks. And that's what I love is that Jesus bridged that gap, not only as our mediator between the Father and and, and a sinful mankind, but but as just a picture of who he is in his character. Yeah. So when I got to know Abba, who now I know the whole Godhead, and that changes who you are immensely. He's your protector. He he teaches you to set a boundary. You can say no sometimes. You you can stand up or be quiet. Sometimes it just feels so good. When you know you've been harmed, you know somebody has just done something really 
crappy to you. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and you can be okay and say, I'm going to be quiet. I'm going to let God be my defense. Because God, a lot of times, say, just let me handle it. Like, let me handle it. And you can stand back and say, Father, handle it. Mm-hmm. Good or bad. Like, I don't wish them harm, but Abba, handle this for me. Mm-hmm. And you can rest in that and, and, and watch. I mean, sometimes you get to see it, sometimes you don't. But I have had my father, God, handle so many interesting situations for me that when I didn't know him, I didn't know how to access that. So yeah, it, it, just to have that time. And, and so I began in, believe it or not, 2009 is when I started speaking again and going out and speaking for women's conferences and different things, going into churches, even doing Sunday mornings. That's daunting. And being behind the pulpit and delivering a Sunday morning message I go out with a women's conference called the clothesline where I put a full scale clothesline on stage and I hang garments that represent my earliest beliefs about myself. Mm. When I first, when I first learned shame, when I first learned I wasn't enough, when I first learned fear, and those are all represented in garments. And I talk to the women about how we put them on every day and don't realize that we wear shame every day and don't know we're doing it. Mm-hmm. And then we, one by one, we trade those garments in for the garments that the Lord has for us and who we are as daughters in the Lord and daughters of a king. And so I go out with the clothesline. I mean, that all started in around 2009. Now, that had to be a big jump for you, and this is the Bold Idea Podcast, so I want to dive into that question just for a second, because you had this experience of being very successful early on, then you had your affair, and Mm -hmm. and basically shut off by the Christian community, you know, all your audience and places Mm -hmm. of success back then were now shut off to you. Mm -hmm. God does this work in your heart, and over 15 years, you're ready to start ministry again after hearing his calling and his his stirring in your heart and you go out and did you create this conference, you know, kind of right off the bat or Mm -hmm. how did that, how did that emerge? How did you take your first steps into this new place where you're working in rest in the father rather than this frenetic pace that you described before? Yeah, it just was slow and steady, you know, just like how God usually works slow and steady. Again, I'd get calls. Someone would inquire. I had a booking agent contact me and, you know, one of the one of the chapters is untang- in Untangled is called Found. It's chapter four. And talk about bold. During this time of healing and restoration, layer by layer, I had a dream one night. I was scheduled to write with B.B. Winans. I don't know if you, I'm mm-hmm. sure you know who B.B. Winans mm-hmm. is, but we were going to write together with a guy named Chris Eaton. And I went I w- was, went to go to sleep the night before, and I just prayed a simple little prayer, Lord, what do you want us to write about? I don't have a record label to answer to or mm-hmm. anyone to answer to. Well, what, what should we write about? And I had a dream, and I was carried to this beautiful place that I'm sure was heaven. And it was this beautiful green field. I, I can't describe the green. It, it would make gr- you know green here on earth look gray. And there was this little cabin in the woods and the door flew open and out ran hundreds and hundreds and hundreds of little kids and all the way from toddlers up to eight or nine years old. And they were singing and playing and clapping and I was walking among them and they couldn't see me. And then this little tiny baby, a crawling baby approached me and he looked at me and he knew who who I was and I knew who he was. And you guys, he was the baby that I had aborted three weeks before I came to know Jesus when I was 17. Mm. And he touched my hand, this baby touched my hand, and without any words at all, he just said, it's okay. It's okay. And he just crawled off to play with the other kids, and I lost him in the sea of these children. And I woke up from this dream with tears running down my face, and I, I said, Lord, what, what are we doing? And he said, Michelle, this is the next layer. He said, you've hidden this so far from me. He said, when you accepted me as your Lord, when you were 17, you didn't give this part to me because you didn't know how to give this part to me. Mm. And I've talked to hundreds of women since that dream that, that are pastor's wives and all kinds of different women who said, I've never known how to give the Lord my abortion. It's just the unthinkable. But what the Lord showed me was from the minute that child left my womb, he was put back together. Mm. And now I needed to be put back together. Mm. 
So during the next, you know, we wrote a song called Found that's on my record, in my new record. And also I wrote a, a chapter called Found in Untangled. So this all process just kept evolving and evolving and evolving and was all put down in this book. And now I'm able to share these things in a way that women can grasp, but men can grasp, but every woman that's had an abortion, a man had an abortion. Mm-hmm. And there's millions of us out there who aren't healed and don't know what to do with it. Yeah, that's right. So anyway, all this just began to evolve a little at a time. And then later I put together the clothesline because I didn't see myself behind a pulpit. I wanted to do something more visual, more powerful than just standing and speaking. Mm-hmm. And I realized that clothing would be a great way to, you know, just how what we wear every day could depict how God wants to restore us and clothe us in the robes of righteousness. And those conferences are really well attended now. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> For what I hear. They are. I mean, I'm not, I don't think I'm allowed to attend, but you know. <laughs> you know I, can I tell you, Larry, I have had so many men ask me, is there any way you could do the clothesline for a bunch of guys? Because <laughs> they need the clothesline too, you yeah. know. But, but the, what I love is that the thing that the enemy thought, the secrets that we have, that he thought he could take us out with and that he could bring us down with are the very things that we can hold up and use for God's glory. But I do say that with caution. And I teach this in the clothesline because the Bible tells us to confess our sins one to another. It doesn't say confess your sins to everyone. And not everybody has the capacity to deal with your stuff. Yeah, that's right. And you can get really hurt. So I can get up there because God's called me to do that. He's shown me how to do that. But that's some of the stuff we deal with in the clothesline is what to do with your secrets and how to get them out before the Lord and to get help and not get hurt. So there's a lot there. So my generation, the millennial generation, we're one of the first generations in history to actually say we want influence more than we want affluence, which is not shocking seeing that it's the Facebook and Twitter and LinkedIn and whatever else, social media generation. And I think a lot of times the reason we keep our secrets to ourselves is because we don't want to lose our influence, how, no matter how small or large it might be. But mm-hmm. part of your story that I love is the fact that it involves losing a lot of influence within the Christian community and having such a mass rejection, but now hearing this redemptive story of what God is doing. And I asked this question, and it might be uncomfortable for you to answer this, but I just asked this because I want anyone who is my generation to hear from someone who's gone through their rejection because of their secrets and to allow God to redeem their life and to see what God can do after you reveal the hidden secrets of your life and what kind of influence he can give you. So all that to say, what kind of influence do you have right now in this social media generation that we live in? The first thing that comes to my mind, I know this is going to sound nuts, but it's like, I don't care. (laughs) I used to care. I get that. I get that hunger. You want your life to matter. All of us want our lives to matter. We want to know that because we were here, something got better. And sometimes that can get all upside down and become, like I said, a hunger that's so famished that you become more about what you're doing instead of who you are. Mm -hmm. That's right. And that will catch up with you. I promise you, take it from me. If that's how, if the cart is before the horse, it will catch up with you. And the enemy is a roaring lion. He is looking for that weak spot to take you out. So first of all, I'd say I don't care like I used to care. I don't have that famished feeling. But at the same time, I can tell you that like they tell me that millions of millennials go to my Facebook page. Yes, they do. And I'm 62 years old. Yes, you are. (laughs) So I mean, my Facebook managers tell me this stuff and I'm blown away by that. I do have conversations with millennials all the time in my back messages. On my front message, on my front page, they're very bold and they use a lot of four-letter words and, <laughs> and that aren't love and things like that. <laughs> and you know what? I'll be super honest with you. When, I, when that first started happening to me about a year ago, I felt like it was offensive and so I was starting to erase them and the Lord stopped my hand in mid-erase and said, do not erase them. 
They've been erased all their lives. Oh, man. He said, nobody's listening. Nobody's listened. Nobody's listened. Nobody's been there. They've been, they've been raised with a device in their hands. So do not erase them. They, they need you to listen. And so I stopped erasing them. I thought if the Christians are going to have to get used to this. Come on. I love that. And, and so I started talking to them the best I could. And the Lord said, they need salt and they need light. Mm. And that's just all you should be and just listen. So I'd listen. And so they, you know, everybody can be bold on the front page right. because you can have your cyber personality and be whoever you want to be, right? So I, I just let them be who they were, whether it was real or not. It didn't matter to me. On the back side, my private messages is where they, the millennials would be honest with me. Mm-hmm. And then we would talk. And I, I just learned that people are just people, whether you're a millennial or a baby boomer like me, we're all wired the same. And the pendulum's always going to swing from one extreme to the other, generation to generation. The next generation is going to want to do what the previous one didn't do and so forth. But, you know, as our human need, our human condition is exactly the same. That's right. So I can talk to someone who's a millennial and ask them questions and I can find interesting answers and then they can ask me questions and so forth. But praise God, the Holy Spirit, still the Holy Spirit. And I would just tell them, I would warn them desperately that if that hunger to be an influence in a world is greater than their hunger to just be with God, even if they never seem to make an influence, even if they never seem to make a mark, if, if, if that's backward, that I would warn them that it will bite them in the rear end. Yep. Yeah. Well, this is probably a good place for us to draw to a close because we're talking about how you interact with your audience and we want to let our audience know how they can get a hold of you. So where do they find out more about you? Okay. The obvious place, obviously my Facebook page, it's Michelle with one L and Pilar like pillar with two L's and Michelle Pilar. I see that funny little picture of me with my tongue. <laughs> I love that picture. <laughs> <laughs> but anyway, they can find me on Facebook. They can find me on michellepillar.com and I answer all my own mail. I comment on all my own stuff. Nobody does that for me. And the two minute miracle is every day, five days a week on my Facebook page. It's called The Two-Minute Miracle. It's got a beautiful, huge following, people all over the world. And we take two to three minutes, and we look at a a quick snippet of God's Word, and we talk about it. And the comments that happen underneath The Two-Minute Miracle are way more interesting than what I have to say on The Two-Minute Miracle. (laughs) That's great. (laughs) I love it. That's a great way to interact. Yeah. Well, we'll have all those links in our show notes for our listeners to be able to get at very easily. But Michelle, I want to thank you again for your candor, your ministry, your vulnerability, your willingness just to be at rest in who you are in God. And, and thanks for giving us a glimpse into that today. Uh, my, my honor and my pleasure. Well, I mean, that's Michelle. I, I have a feeling we could have spent all afternoon talking to that, yeah. <laughs> that lady. I think she's got a lot more that she can untangle about her life. What do you think? For sure. I love how raw she is. I love how honest she is. It's Maybe I shouldn't say shameless, but it, it, there's a sense of shamelessness in it. You know, it's There's been so much redemption in her life that she has nothing left to be ashamed about. That it's, it, it's not that it's something that makes her regret what happened, but it's it's gotten to the point where she's able to show it as here's what God did with the desert season of my life and transformed it into the ministry that it is today. Yeah. You know, what's interesting is the, almost the contrast from, you know, one occupation of being recording artist, you know, sought after speaker or all the rest in her earlier life to doing the same kind of things today, maybe a little bit of different format, but generally the same kind of thing today to the same audience, but from a whole different perspective and from a whole, well, I would describe as settledness. I mean, I get a real sense of this person is very grounded. Yeah. And fulfilled. Right. And you kept using the word frenetic, but like she's doing just as crazy of a pace, but in a much more fulfilling way. Well, I think she described it frenetic in the early, in her early day, but yeah, from frenetic to fulfilled, let's put it that way. That sounds like that's probably a nice way to describe Michelle's transformation. Mm -hmm. But what's interesting to me is that, you know, this is the bold idea podcast. So it's any initiative that we might get into can be taken from that same either frenetic pace where I've got to do it in order to get 
some success or accolade or opinion. And it, it occurred to me that maybe God was ripping that out of her to say, that's not your source of who I am. Yeah. It's not in your work. Yep. You know, it's in who you are. And I think she even said that, that, you know, it was not from what she does, but from who she is and replacing with using the same skill set, the same talents that God's put in her, but just doing it in a different way, doing it from a place of fulfillment, like you described, rather than this frenetic, I need it to fill me in some way and give me life. And I love the fact that, and earlier you were talking about the same audience, but I think, and, and maybe I'm jumping to a conclusion, but a piece of it at least I got it from the conversation after our interview with her was that she has a sense of fulfillment from this new audience that she's garnered, this millennial generation of people who are probably not even Christians, as she used it, use a lot of four-letter words, you know, and, yeah. and it's not the word love. But I love that she's getting those people and she's embracing them and she's listening to them, but more importantly... They're listening to her because they know she's gone through the rejection. She's gone through the abandonment. Right. She's gone through the pain of what Christianity can be. And she has a way of empathizing with them that makes them realize, I'm not going to judge you. I'm not going to condemn you. I'm going to love you. I'm going to listen to you. And I'm going to embrace you. And these people are coming to them. I mean, how many people does she have on her Facebook now? M- millions? 20 million on Something, a given week. Yeah, a given week. I mean, yeah. That's outrageous. <laughs> I'm willing to bet any amount of money she did not have that much influence at the pinnacle of her music career. Yeah. With God. even a million and a half albums sold. Yeah, right. Like, I mean, yeah. her, her influence is expanded beyond anything it was. I think God has taken her out of whatever that was into whatever the next season was into this season of just raw, authentic, genuine honesty that's brought her this mass millions of people who just yeah, listen well, and interact And I would her. guess 15 years ago, she would never thought that possible, right? I mean, this yeah. kind of comes to Ephesians 3.20, beyond all that you can ask or imagine, and he's able to do all of that. But it has to come from him as being the source. Now, you know, one of the things that I thought about is I was listening to Michelle, and even just listening to you process here, too, kind of reinforces not only is she helpful to those, you know, millennials and others who are grappling with those questions and dealing with those very issues that she walked through, yeah. but what it really reminds me of is how much we need the Michelle Pilars of the world, how much right. we need those people who have gone through a trial by fire yep. and have come out the other side in a deep and rich and grounded place in their faith with God where they can mentor, they can be authentic and real and they can say, Hey, I know what that hurt feels like. I know what those doubts are. And I, I know that there is one who will sit beside you so close. You can't put a playing card (laughs) through and will not leave you or forsake you. And I know that person. Yeah. And I think we need more mentors like that. I guess for me, it's a challenge, not only for myself to be more authentic like that, but also for all of our listeners to say, where in your life can you be even more authentic to help those you know who can untangle the scars in their own life and be Jesus to them, be mm-hmm. that person who will not walk away from them when they fail, but will stand next to them and help them untangle the hurts and pains in their own life. That's right. That's right. Don't you find it interesting, though? that you find people like Michelle and our other Michelle and Paul Young who all have these very, very similar backgrounds, similar stories. Yeah. And every time they get into their darkest season and where we think when we're in that dark season that God has abandoned us and we're all alone and we have nothing left, that is the season that if we cling on to God... That's the season that basically catapults us into our greatest ministries, into our greatest influence, into our most fulfilled life, that God uses the darkness in our life to create the brightest light. Yeah, and it's the hardest 
thing to grab a hold of when that's happening at the moment. Right, because you feel abandoned. You do. You feel abandoned, and it's hard when, frankly, when you're despairing to believe in that. Right. It is. Oh, I, mean, I that's, know. <laughs> that's why we need hope, you know? Yeah. That's why we need Jesus. But it's also why we need people who, like Michelle, have been there and gone through it to give testimony to it. That's right. And I think oftentimes we don't step back, just as Michelle said she hid her abortion. Yep. You know, and yeah. it's like, no, God's saying, I want to deal with that too. And I think that God loves us so much, and he, I think he loves the community of believers, and in fact, all mankind, that we need to show that kind of authentic transparency. As she said, you can't do it you know, on the stage or do it, but you can do it with people who are in pain and troubled mm-hmm. and need that word from you. Right on. So it's been a challenge for me just listening to that, to remember that it isn't just about me surviving and me finding my own grounding, but it's also about helping others do the same. And that's, to me, the testimony of Michelle Pilar. I agree wholeheartedly. And I, last note, I think we need to connect Michelle and Michelle. Yeah, <laughs> I, 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 think, I think you're absolutely right. <laughs> At least get them listening to each, the, to each right. other's podcast, right? <laughs> it's another me. It's the same name. <laughs> exactly. Well, listen, I hope you enjoyed this, this interview and discussion with our second Michelle on the podcast. And listen, go to boldideapodcast.com slash 17. There you will find all the links that we talked about in the show. So how you can get a hold of Michelle, find out more about what's going on with her. But also she has made arrangements with her publisher to offer to you chapter one of her book, Untangled. So you can download that directly from our website when you go out there. So be sure to take advantage of that. You can read that first chapter. You can't frighten the dead and get some insight into what we've been talking about here. But we'd love for you to leave a comment on our show notes at boldideapodcast.com slash 17 or social media. You know, hey, we have a Facebook page, too. doesn't reach 20 million people, <laughs> but it close. reaches you, and that's what's important. Or call our show line at 612-568-IDEA or 612-4332. Armin, any last words? No, I think I just love Michelle's now, and I want more Michelle's in my life. But <laughs> We hope this has been an inspiration to you guys, if you're listening to this, to hear such amazing stories, and we do hope to hear from you. So, If you can, do leave us a message. Give us a call. We want to know what you're thinking, what questions you're pondering, what you have for us. Until next time, this is Armin Asadi. And Larry Gates. Bidding you do. You've been listening to the Bold Idea Podcast. To get our show notes sent to your inbox, visit boldideapodcast.com.